Good morning. This is China Takes Over the World. I am Ying Ma. Since 2004, China has had a permanent land-based presence in the Arctic.、Uh, it it、um, has also、uh, uh, created multiple research stations there. Has completed dozens of Arctic expeditions and is home to the largest non-nuclear icebreaker in the world. What does China want from the Arctic, and what is it doing to achieve its goals? We are pleased to welcome Professor David Curtis Wright to discuss these issues with us. David is an associate. Professor in the History Department at the University of Calgary. David, welcome to the show. Thank you. What are China's strategic interests in the Arctic?、Uh, the interests in the Arctic,、um, I think, apply first of all to energy、uh, resources, and secondly to potentially opening navigation routes.、Uh, I don't think that China has any specifically military interests, at least at this point. Um, in the Arctic, that's still I see it as a long way off if it ever happens. Well, China likes to refer to the Arctic、uh, as the shared heritage of humankind, yeah, and yeah. It, it wants its、um, it wants the Arctic's melting passageways and the natural resources there to be. Um, all part of an international territory,、yeah. and you've written that China's nightmare scenario is one in which the European and North American powers up there would just carve up、uh, the region amongst themselves and then exclude everyone else. How likely is this scenario, and what is China doing to prevent it? Well, China, first of all, is、um, acting in terms of its own nat-、uh, national interest. Um, if China itself were an Arctic power and had a, a littoral on the、um, Arctic Ocean, there is no way it would be <laughs> arguing that、um, the, the Arctic is、uh, part of the global continent. <laughs> no, no way at all.、Um, what China wants to prevent is、um, the sewing up, as you've, you've、um, outlined, of the Arctic by the A5, the Arctic Five states: Russia, Canada, U.S., Norway, and Denmark. Uh, or more ominously, perhaps as、uh, being sewn up by the Arctic Eight,、uh, the Arctic Five plus Sweden, Finland, and Iceland. I've seen an article in Chinese about、uh, fear that this will be controlled by the Allied armies of eight nations, something like Bagua Lantern, going back to the Boxer Rebellion in 1900.、Um, they're afraid of this.、Uh, they want to be sure that they have access to. The region's resources, and that、um, they're not going to be excluded、um, from purchasing them. But I don't think China just wants to be a customer. I think China wants to be one of the players. It wants to be one of the big guys. In other words, it wants to、uh, develop Arctic resources、uh, and not simply be a passive customer, but be an active、um, developer. And, and how likely would the Arctic Five or the Arctic Eight let China do this? Excuse me. Could you repeat the question? How likely is it that the Arctic Five or the Arctic Eight would kind of go along with that wish that China has to be a player in the region?、Um, I think that、um, China's money is going to be very influential、uh, and, and very important. It's, it's going to be hard to say no to a lot of cash that's、uh, being offered to you. Um, Russia,、uh, the Rosneft deal of last year,、um, uh, the CNPC, China National Petroleum Company, and Rosneft made a deal、um, to uh, develop um, oil fields in Russian territorial waters. 
Uh, I don't think that A8 countries will resist Chinese investment and Chinese involvement um, to that extent. I just don't think that the A8 Arctic 8 powers will want China to think that it has something like sovereign rights um, in the Arctic. Uh, the, the, the territorial sovereignty and the extended um, continental shelves, those are the exclusive domain of the um, actually the Arctic 5 powers. Well, the one country that China seems quite concerned about in the Arctic is Russia, which happens to be China's strategic partner on lots of other issues. And the two often take a common stand against Western democracies, for Mm. instance, at the UN. What has Russia done in the Arctic to really create that kind of alarm in China? Well, Russia has many nuclear icebreakers up there. Um, The Chinese... Um, have historically something of an ambivalent relationship with Russia, actually. It can be viewed as a partner, or as one Chinese article I read put it, um, a big northern clumsy lunk. Uh, <laughs> that, you know, Russia and Japan, and then China has this um, ambivalent relationship um, with them. But I don't think that in the future China and Russia will enter into much conflict. Um, I have an idea that what we might see in the future is Russia becoming to China what Canada is to the United States. Um, That is a northern realm of abundant natural resources and sparse populations, um, where Russia will become wealthy by selling stuff to China that the Chinese will pay ready cash for. Um, I don't see a lot of conflict about this in the future. I see it as an economically symbiotic relationship that's Uh potentially emerging. Uh, We are speaking with Professor David Curtis Wright of the University of Calgary. Does China currently have a clearly formulated policy for the Arctic, or is Beijing still trying to put one together? China does not have a clearly articulated Arctic policy, and it may never have, um, for several reasons. I think China might want to remain um, a little bit ambiguous as far as its policy is concerned. And then there also is the um, terrible task that the leaders in Zhongnanhai have uh, to square the circle of Chinese interest in the Arctic versus Chinese interest in the South China Sea. Um, China is sensitive about this. It knows that it has a hard time um, projecting its interests out onto the extended continental shelves, uh, even to the Taiwan Strait. I mean... One of China's rationales for claiming Taiwan, in addition to um, historical ties, is to say that Taiwan is on the extended um, continental shelf of uh, of China, which uh, it is. By the way, the Senkaku Islands are not uh, of Japan. Now, China, I think, is too smart to try to come out with um, an official policy about uh, the Arctic because of these... Um, these difficulties. And I think it will continue to be ambiguous. We, don't, we won't be able to get at Chinese Arctic policy um, by looking for policy pronouncements and white papers. I think we'll be able to see what Chinese Arctic policy is simply by what China is doing, what its approach 
to the Arctic is right now. Well, let's talk a little bit about this issue in the South China Sea. As we've uh, discussed on this show previously a number of times, China claims about 90% of the waters in the South China Sea, and it currently has a number of heated territorial disputes with neighbors there. And that's led to a lot of concerns uh, from other countries about China's willingness to threaten the freedom of navigation uh, in the South China Sea. And so even if China does not have a clearly articulated um, policy in the Arctic, doesn't the fact that it wants the Arctic to be the shared heritage of mankind already conflict with its position in the South China Sea? And and how does it um, – and, 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 you know, how exactly does it explain itself or does it just not? (laughs) it depends. The Chinese government itself has not come out with an official explanation of the apparent inconsistently, uh, the apparent inconsistency of these policies in the two areas. Um, individual Chinese scholars have argued that it all comes down to uh, a matter of historical claim. China has historical claims on the various islands of the South China Sea going all the way back to the Han Dynasty um, 2,000 years ago. And that the current Arctic claimants uh, do not have such long-standing uh, territorial claims. Um, because everything of, was frozen. <laughs> yeah, when everything was frozen and nobody really uh, cared uh, very much about uh, the Arctic. China didn't care much about the Arctic uh, very much at all. It's one of the ironies that China is able to have um, its... Um, research facilities in the Arctic uh, Ocean on the Svalbard Islands of Norway because back in the early 1920s, a warlord government in Beijing, almost as an afterthought, decided to sign on the the Svalbard Treaty or the Spitsberg Treaty, which gave China the right um, then or in the future to station people and researchers and facilities in the Svalbard Islands. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> so they never, must be happy about having uh, that they're foresight. They're happy about something that happened by the big, bad, wicked uh, warlord government. <laughs> all the time. I may do a research project uh, on this in the future with Guo Ching of China, of Ocean University of China, on this very question. And he is one of the foremost experts on the Arctic in 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 China. Am I right? Oh yes, he um, he regularly goes to international conferences. He speaks passable English. Um, and he is um, very much up to date on all the latest um, developments and wrinkles and permutations. Um, sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, China is actually putting a lot of money, a lot more money in Antarctica than it is in the Arctic. Mm. Why is China talking so much about the Arctic when it's spending relatively little money there? I don't think that China feels comfortable about spending a whole lot of money right now in the Arctic because of the optics. Um, China knows that its massive size uh, provokes jitters. Um, There is not nearly the sensitivity pertaining to Arctic, Antarctic issues, excuse me, as there are to Arctic um, issues. People don't really care much about Antarctica. Uh, quite frankly. Governments do, but uh, citizens don't. Uh, Antarctica is not part and parcel of nationalism for any country the way that the Arctic is for several Arctic countries. Hmm. The U.S. and Canada have had a dispute for some time regarding the Northwest Passage, a sea route along the northern coast of North America Hmm. that would shorten sea transportation from east to west. And Canada claims this is its internal waters, while the U.S. says it's waters for international navigation. Hmm. Obviously, China 
has an interest in 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 siding with the U.S. Um, as more ice melts in the North Pass Northwest Passage over time, will we find ourselves in a situation where Canada and the, uh, would be on one side, and then the China and the U.S. would be on the other side on this issue? Ah,、uh, yes, I think so. It would be China and the U.S. and the EU and everybody else in the world, <laughs> except for Canada and Russia.、Um, Canada. Is I don't think you know I'm a historian. I don't peer into the future very much, but I'll, I'll venture this prediction. <laughs> yes, please humor Canada's, us. <laughs> Canada's not going to get its way about the Northwest Passage. I just don't see that happening.、Um, there will be a deal,、uh, probably like the Svalbard Islands in Norway, where Canada's sovereignty over the Northwest Passages—there are two of them actually—is、uh, recognized, but that the international community can do more or less whatever it wants. Um, perhaps pay some fees.、Um, the Northwest Passage、um, is part of Canadian nationalism. Canadians can get riled up over two things, or maybe three:、um, hockey,、um, anti-Americanism, and <laughs> the Arctic.、Uh, the Arctic、um, is the, the, kind of the background of the of the Canadian psyche. Uh, and Canada would never tolerate any government. The Canadian public would never tolerate any government giving away sovereignty、um, in the Arctic、uh, right now.、Uh, so that has to happen in the future when it's obvious to Canada that it's in its best economic interests to go ahead and back off of this Northwest Passage claim. By the way, the, the Northwest Passage there are two of them. There's a southern one and there is a northern one. Um, the southern one is shallow, and、uh, ships with the biggest draft won't be able to go through that.、Um, it'll be sometime in the future before the northern Northwest Passage opens, and you could have the Panamanian super tankers go through there theoretically. But still, there's an awful lot of ice that has to melt before that happens. Well, I'm sure China will be watching this very closely. Yes, we've been chatting with Professor David Curtis Wright, associate professor in the history department at the University of Calgary. David, thank you very much. All right, thank you. Please send us your comments on Facebook at facebook.com/slash/ChinaTakesOver or on Twitter at RisingChina. This is China Takes Over the World, and I am Yingla. Good morning. This is China Takes Over the World. I am Ying Ma. We continue our conversation about China's presence in the Arctic with Miss Caitlin Campbell, Research Director and Security and Foreign Affairs Analyst for the U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission. The commission is a U.S. congressional entity that examines the national security implications of the bilateral trade and economic relationship between America and China. Miss Campbell is here. To offer her own views and does not speak for the commission or any of its commissioners. Caitlin, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. As we discussed in the last segment, China has had an expanding presence in the Arctic in the past decade. Is this development a cause for concern at at the commission where you work in the U.S. Congress or in the U.S. government in general? Well, I can't really speak for any of those organizations. My sense is that the U.S. government is watching, but not very concerned about China's involvement in the Arctic. The Congress,、uh, I don't think, has spent a whole lot of time looking at this particular issue, and I don't have a pulse on whether or not there's a great amount of concern there. I know、uh, a few folks on the Hill are looking at it. 
the Obama administration um, has paid a lot of attention to Arctic policy more generally. They've put out about four policy and strategy documents on the Arctic just in the past 14 months. But none of those documents address China's role. And there are very few statements by the administration that indicate um, any particular concern about China's role there one way or another. There's been a lot of talk about how the U.S. and other other Arctic countries are increasingly viewing the Arctic as an emerging security issue. But it sounds like from what you're describing, the U.S. government, to the extent that it does see this as an emerging security issue, hasn't really um, added China to the mix or hasn't said anything about it publicly. No, that's correct. And I think that the Obama administration and its strategy documents and policy documents on the Arctic has increasingly looked to paint the Arctic region as a security issue for the United States, but more in terms of non-traditional security, so security for energy exploration, safety as you know, as the region becomes more crowded. Um, how is the United States and how are other Arctic states going to ensure that people in the region and commercial actors in the region are safe in this fragile and, and sort of unwelcoming environment? But Actually, the Arctic as a region is a very peaceful place as far as state-to-state relations go. And so, you know, even among the Arctic Council members, who some of them have territorial disputes with one another, you know, the dispute between Canada and the United States is probably the most contentious one. And I don't think any of us are expecting the U.S. and Canada to come into conflict anytime <laughs> soon. So certainly, you know, so China is far outside of that, <laughs> right? Know, that realm too. And and we did discuss that a little bit with uh, our previous guest, uh, David Curtis Wright uh, from Calgary. Well, the Eight Nation Arctic Council is the main international forum for cooperation in the Arctic. Its members include the United States, Canada, Norway, Denmark. Russia, Sweden, Finland, and Iceland. Uh, only these countries have voting rights, but China, along with various other countries, sits on the council as a permanent observer. Was China's observer status something that the U.S. encouraged? Uh, does the U.S. believe that, that, or did it include believe that including China in the most important multilateral dialogue about the future of the region would be beneficial to peace and security? Well, we do know that the Arctic Council makes its decisions regarding who to invite on as a permanent observer by consensus. And so the fact that China and the five or six new uh, permanent observers who were admitted last year were invited on demonstrates that maybe even if there were disagreements at first over who would be able to participate, at the end of the day, the Arctic Council agreed that China and these other countries um, should be a part of the council. So I'm not aware of any public U.S. comments that indicated otherwise. I think that the U.S. welcoming China into the Arctic Council is consistent with a broader approach to China in global affairs more generally. The United States seeks to engage China, especially in in institutions that are meant to develop rules of the road. Um, So, you know, we see that in East Asia, but in the Arctic Council, I think, while it doesn't have, um, the, the Arctic Council doesn't have the ability to enforce rules or regulations, 
it's sort of a, a standard-setting organization. And I think the United States would like to welcome China into that dialogue as China is going to be participating in the Arctic, whether it's by energy exploration or shipping. The United States, I'm guessing, would prefer for China to be a part of those conversations as they're taking place so China can be a responsible actor in this emerging area. Other permanent observers on the Arctic Council Council include India and Japan, uh, and both of these countries have ter- territorial disputes with China in Asia, yet as non-Arctic states, they are likely to share an interest in seeing the melting passageways in the high north remain open to international navigation uh, and the resources under the waters be deemed international. So are we likely to see China actually work closely with uh, strategic rivals like India and Japan and potentially um uh, in some sort of, of uh, arrangement against Arctic states that are Western democracies? I don't think we'll see collusion between China and these countries against Arctic states necessarily, but I think we will see cooperation between them. And I think that China and these other countries largely separate their bilateral, you know, territorial issues in East Asia or South Asia with India from this other part of the world. And in fact, last week, um, China, a, China, um, a Chinese company in a joint venture with a Japanese company, the China Shipping Development Company, announced that these two companies would jointly spend close to a billion dollars on three tankers equipped with icebreakers to import LNG from Russia's Yamal natural gas facility in the Arctic. So we're already seeing... China and Japan cooperate on resource issues in the Arctic, and I think we'll continue to see that in the future. Uh, Japan, just like China, um, is heavily dependent on on imports for its energy security, and this it's the same with South Korea, really. So those three Northeast Asian countries, I think, will both be intensely interested in energy developments in the region, and probably we'll see a lot of cooperation there. I, in fact, I think these two the Japanese and Chinese companies that are in this joint venture are sourcing their uh, the LNG tankers from South Korea, from a South Korean um, shipbuilder. So I think we'll see a lot more of that in the commercial realm and the energy exploitation realm. We are speaking with Caitlin Campbell of the U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission. In recent years, China has noticeably been reaching out to Nordic countries and has discussed large-scale investments, economic cooperation and joint scientific research uh, with these countries. And in 2013, it even signed a free trade agreement with Iceland. Uh, Do you know if China has made similar gestures of outreach to the U.S. regarding the Arctic, or has it shown any interest in doing so? You know, I'm not sure about that. Uh, Well, China's money is likely to be quite impressive to the Nordic countries, uh, do you, do you think that the U.S. is likely to be much more wary, even if China were to offer lots, lots of money for joint economic development and scientific research in, Ar- in the Arctic? I think scientific research uh, is one issue. I think the United States might be a little wary of, say, a Chinese company setting up shop in Alaska. Uh, I haven't seen any efforts in that area, and I'd be interested to see how they play out. I think that a lot of China watchers in the United States 
notice that there's this trend, and I don't want to paint all companies in China with a broad brush, but especially among oil and gas and mining companies, a lot of, of these Chinese companies don't exactly have a rich history of enshrining environmental or social responsibility in their commercial activities. So, uh, you know, joint ventures or, or investments with Chinese companies in, in these areas might be perceived as contentious in the United States. And I think that, uh, you know, U.S.-China relations are perhaps a little bit shakier right now than a lot of Chinese relationships with Northern European companies. So they, it might get a little bit more political attention if, if China and the U.S. were seeking to cooperate in, in, in that kind of way. Some commentators in China have referred to the country as a near-Arctic state. Uh, we know that China is very worried that the, the Arctic states would just gobble up the resources in the region and exclude other countries like China. Uh, have people, uh, have commentators or experts in China on this issue said anything about challenging the territorial claims made, made by littoral Arctic states in the future? You know, I think there are a couple, you know, just like in every every country there, the sort of, you know, far-fetched types who, who, you know, claim ridiculous things like, oh, China has claims in the Arctic. But I don't think the Chinese government entertains the idea of of territorial ambitions in that part of the world at all. Any serious thinker in China is not looking towards that. I think when you hear people in China talk about China being a near-Arctic state, it falls into this idea that the Chinese have that the Arctic and the Arctic Ocean are what they call the common inheritance, common inheritance of mankind. And the Arctic Ocean, except for the parts of it that are claimed by the Arctic states, is going to be, as it opens up and as the ice melts, an area free for commerce and, and exploitation. And China wants to be at the table. China doesn't want China doesn't have any territorial ambitions, but China wants to be at the table as the Arctic Council and the Arctic states talk about what that region is going to look like as the ice melts and as they set up new regulations and international laws and, and as they you know, seek to shape the regulatory environment. China wants to be in on that discussion because China absolutely wants to exploit energy resources, use shipping lanes, perhaps um, send fishing fleets up there. So I, I'd be very, very skeptical of anyone who said China had territorial ambitions in the Arctic. Sure, and, and clearly China is quite busy right now with its territorial <laughs> ambitions elsewhere, especially in the South and East China Seas. Yeah. Well, uh, we don't I, we, we don't want to leave giving the impression that all China is doing is trying to secure resources and, and, and strategic gain up in the Arctic. In fact, it has been beefing up its research up in the Arctic as well. Uh, could you tell us what are some of the areas that China's scientific research in the high north um, tend to, what, what do those uh, uh, research areas focus on? So China's very interested in the impact of climate change in the far north and how those impacts affect China as well. China, parts of China are fairly um, far north. And I think China's weather patterns, you know, especially the north is very arid in China. And I think China is interested in comparing weather patterns and climate patterns in the Arctic and applying those lessons to especially the Tibetan Plateau, which is another area of the world that is acutely affected by climate change. So climate change is a huge focus for researchers 
um, in the in the high north uh, from China and and from all the other countries as well. Well, we've been chatting with Caitlin Campbell, research director and security and foreign affairs analyst for the U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission. Caitlin, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Please send us your comments on Facebook at facebook.com slash China Takes Over or on Twitter at Rising China. This is China Takes Over the World, and I am Ying Ma.